0: And welcome back to Impressionable with me, Becky Lee. I have one of the best episodes, I think, I've produced today with the incredible Dr. Micah, who is a positive psychology practitioner. She's also a psychologist, a speaker, a trainer, a researcher, and a qualified coach, as well as being the founder of The Flourishing Doc basically through Dr. Micah's work she helps to empower individuals and organizations to help us understand what we need to thrive so that we can realize our potential and create a reality that excites us. So this episode is all about how to live your best life essentially, how we know when we're flourishing compared to if we're languishing, what miswanting is and how to really tap into ourselves to figure out what we want and what we need and how to go for it. I find Dr. Micah super inspirational the way that she's managed to create a life for herself that's in alignment with who she is deep inside I'm trying to do the same I'm sure my move to France was somewhat inspired by the initial conversation that I had with her and now I'm super excited to share all her wisdom with you um and if you'd like to support the podcast you can do so by sharing this with a friend rating if I, was, I say this every week but it's super helpful anyway on to the episode I won't leave you with any more anticipation see you in a couple of weeks bye everyone and welcome back to Impressionable. This week I'm joined by Dr. Micah. Hi Rebecca, how are you? (laughs) I'm good, thanks yeah, how are you? I'm well, thank you very much, thank you for having me. I'm really excited to talk to you today because I feel like I resonate a lot with the things that you talk about Um, but for those that don't know what you get up to, can you give a little bit of an introduction? Yeah, absolutely, thank you. So basically i
1: kind of help people who feel like they've outgrown an aspect of their life. So whether that be their, you know, their life, their way of living, their careers, their relationship, understand what they need to evolve in a way that excites them again. So I am a psychologist by trade, but these days I work predominantly as a coach, speaker and educator.
0: Amazing. Um, So I can't wait to go into all that. But the first question I ask everyone is what is something that's made an impression on you recently? yeah I mean you know I think you know Rebecca that I
1: am traveling full-time with my family at Mm. the moment and I have been for the last half year it's been a big dream of mine and we're sort of trialing that at the moment to see how it works and what's interested it's interesting to me is that you know all during all this time leading up to our current way of living of course my friend's you know heard me talk about this dream they've seen me get organized for it they've heard my fears about it and so forth but now when we travel people and they ask, so where are you from and we kind of explain that right now we're not really from anywhere um you know you often hear them say something like wow that's amazing that's a dream of mine and it's as all all of a sudden there's this contrast and it seems like i'm on one side of, of you know of, of a gap and they are on the other side of that gap and somehow I've been able to make that dream happen and I think what we often forget is the sweat and tears and the fears and, and the concerns and the million steps that are being taken to get from one side to the other and I just I just noticed that a lot while traveling and I think it's so important for all of us to remember it's not that one day you wake up and you sort of made it. I mean, you know, having made it is something we can discuss too, whether that even exists. But, you know, just never to forget all the sweat and tears and the embraced fears that go on behind the scenes.
0: Mm. What's been like the most valuable thing you've learned by traveling there as a family? Oh, That's a very big question. I think the
1: most valuable thing is just for me how much I love being mobile and also not own to, not to own much i love this minimalistic way of living because it you know it forces me for example to think five times before i buy a new pair of sandals or even a t-shirt or a hair mask whatever that might be you know whether i can actually fit it in my bag but also seeing how the world changes how we as people and societies change or not um but also how our planet changes and that we just really need to take good care of ourselves of each other and of the planet
0: yeah 100% and i have to know what's been your favorite place so far
1: Oh, there are so many for so many different reasons. <laughs> loved Japan. Absolutely fell in love with Japan. But, you know, Japan is so modern and advanced and yet so quirky and has such a high aesthetic and the food is amazing and so forth. It's very, very comfortable. But also loved Mongolia. And Mongolia was a total contrast to that where we lived with nomad families, had absolutely nothing, no running water, mm-hmm. had yeah. the same food sort of every day. You know, either there is a lamb that, you know, you <laughs> know, ends up in your dinner bowl or there isn't um yeah let's not talk about the toilet experiences (laughs) but I would probably highlight Japan and Mongolia at this stage for very different reasons
0: that's so cool and where about in the world are you right now
1: Right now, I'm in Turkey, in the southwest of Turkey, in a small town called Dalyan. It's beautiful. I've never been to Turkey before, even though I'm European by descent. Um, But I've just returned from Greece yesterday. So we took a little holiday and just hopped over to the island of Kors, which is right at our doorstep. So that's been real fun.
0: Just Mm. sounds gorgeous. But yeah, I can imagine how many challenges (laughs) you would need to face as well, Um, especially Mm. traveling as a family. Um, Yeah, that's super cool. Um, But let's go into more about your work and what you do. Mm -hmm. But let's start with what kind of drew you into that line of work and, like, at what point were you like, okay, this is what I want to do? Yeah. I mean, I suppose if you ask me, you know, in one word, what is it that I do,
1: I probably – it's intentional living. I help people live fully and intentionally. And what drew me to that line of work kind of started in very early childhood. I have always remembered – you know, adults telling me about their regrets, talking about things that they wish they had done, but they've never tried. And when I asked them, well, why aren't you doing that now? They found a world of excuses. And I always thought to myself, I want to promise myself that no matter how big my dreams, I want to try and go for that as a young child i felt as though the world could be divided into two types of people those who were like the go-getters who knew what they wanted who went for it who fought hard and who Mm. seemed happier at the end of the day and those that kind of were always complaining and had like this slog of energy and you know and i always felt like they were the biggest thing that actually got into their own way and they were completely oblivious about it so that's kind of what motivated me to study psychology because I wanted to know Mm. well how can we create a life that really excites us and that feels like we live fully and how can we maximize our our motivation and also how can we learn the tools and the skills that allow us and enable us to accomplish our goals once we know what we're aiming for and I suppose one other thing that I remember so vividly from childhood is learning about near-death experiences, so people who reported having gone through a traumatic life event, perhaps even sort of lost their lives temporarily, and who've reported that since then, it's like a switch had been flicked. You know, it's like an invisible switch that we all seem to carry, but don't really know about that, ranges from sort of zombie living, perhaps autopilot living, now we have a word for this, it's languishing Mm -hmm. and we can talk about that later, but from that one extreme of zombie living or feeling blah or barely alive to fully alive or flourishing or intentional living and feeling like we grab life with both hands and I always found it so fascinating that those people reported that since then they feel like this switch had been flicked for them. And that since then, they feel like they they live fully alive. They're fully alive. They grab life with both hands. They are more courageous to pursue their dreams or to speak their own truth and pursue and live a life that is more aligned to who they are and who they want to be. So I always thought, wouldn't it be so nice if we could all flick that switch of ours without going through those traumatic experiences. And again, I, I feel like I made it my mission to identify that switch and figure out what it is that we do need to flick it without any of those traumatic experiences, because there basically is a recipe for it, which we now know from positive psychology research, and we can all cultivate those skills and mindsets to live like that. Of course, it doesn't have the same full-on impact that you might get from going through you know that post-traumatic growth but we can most certainly work on that
0: Mm. so do you feel like anyone is capable of living their best life like is it is it just about a mindset shift or do some people have personalities that like end up them choosing you know the former Oh, fantastic question, Rebecca, because my first sort of reaction
1: to that question is always, yes, we all can live life more fully. We all have it in us. There is so much that is within our control. But of course, there's a few caveats. We are all born with different privileges. We know that life is not fair. Some people have it easier than others. Life is not fair. There's nothing really We can do about it in our own little lifetime or short lifespan. Of course, we all need to work together to um, get rid of some of the inequalities. But it's interesting because there are some personality traits that I suppose set you up for more success perhaps on this journey. So things like openness to new experiences, um, curiosity, those type of things. But, But also research shows that, of course, personality traits aren't a dealt fate. We can actually change some of our personality traits. Of course, they're relatively stable, but they can change. Otherwise, you know, that would be a very fixed mindset. And We know from neuroscience that brain plasticity and so forth, we know that, you know, all the evidence is there for it. So of course we can change those things and we can cultivate things and mindsets such as curiosity, for example, which is super important in pursuing a life that feels more aligned to who we are and what we would like.
0: A hundred percent. Um, It's so interesting based on what you just said then about how the majority of us have the potential to live a kind of like flourishing life. Yet the majority of us don't. Like a lot of people do stay in this kind of languishing state, as you said, or like they feel moderately comfortable. Why, why is it that so many people stay just... You know, doing what they've always done and not really chasing their dreams. Yeah. How much time do you have?
1: (laughs) I think there's a whole list of reasons I can already think of. So, for example, one is a lack of awareness. We're not taught this stuff, right? We're not taught about the differences between languishing and flourishing and what we need as humans to flourish or thrive in life. There is really good science behind this that we've had sort of evolve over the last, let's say, at least two decades. But Up to this moment in time, it's really a matter of privilege in some private schools, whether or not they can afford to fly in some of those positive psychology researchers or gurus, consultants, whatever, to, you know, train up their teachers and therefore ultimately help those kids understand those life skills. But, of course, it's available online, but also you don't know what you don't know, right? So most people don't even yet understand that This continuum from languishing to flourishing is actually the continuum that we refer to also as having mental well-being or not. So languishing is just a different word for having a lack of or low mental well-being, whereas flourishing is a synonym for having high mental well-being. And mental well-being or the presence of mental well-being is actually the other half of mental health. And this quote-unquote, I should say for your listeners – is the other half of mental health that we never talk about, that we're not even aware of yet. When we talk about mental health, and correct me if you think I'm wrong, when we talk about mental health, all we think about is mental illness. We talk about depression and anxiety and all those, you know, sad mental illnesses or states that we can have. But that is only half of the equation of what it takes to be mentally healthy. Is the absence of mental illness, but we also need the presence of mental well-being or flourishing. So, there is a whole lot of work to be done around raising awareness. Um, but then also, I think you know, it comes down to choosing the easy path. We are neurologically wired to choose the path of least resistance, mm-hmm. and that means do what we've always done. Or for yes. example, do what is desired by other people. Do what leads to less, you know, negative impact or a questioning by the people around you, let alone society. You know the number of you know, looks or so that I often get from people, you know, questioning my integrity almost as a mother. How can I take my children out of school and just decide just to go traveling? And they seem to think that we're just always on a holiday. Some people just think we're always just holidaying. It's far from it. Um, you know, so it's that path of least resistance. It can be really hard to understand or to embrace that courage to live a line that is truly aligned to yourself, And that is also another piece to the puzzle is actually understanding what it takes for you to create a life that feels aligned to you, that is a life on your terms. So we have to cultivate that self-knowledge and actually deeply understand ourselves. What is it that I truly want? What is it that matters most to me? What are my values? What are my strengths? How can I pursue this? What are actually my passions? What are my interests? My, you know, my skills, my talents, and so forth. So once we start bringing all of that together, we also understand what it is that we might want to, to do in order to create that life that excites us.
0: A hundred percent. Gosh, what you're saying is resonating with me so much. I don't really talk much about myself on the podcast, um. Please so do. I hope you demand the indulgence for a second, but I'm having this like really dramatic career shift like I'm gonna move to France um and I'm gonna be an au pair because I've always always wanted to live in France and I was yeah. just like this is the perfect opportunity to do it and then but I'm, I'm terrified but like that's the only thing that I feel I don't feel like it's a bad idea I don't feel like it's not something, that, it really feels like something that I really want to do. And I'm so excited. But I'm, the only thing that I'm yet feeling is scared. But I'm, that's not a good enough reason to not do it. Amazing. I love that you're doing that. And that's, exact,
1: <laughs> that's the definition of courage, isn't you? Isn't it? People think courage is mm-hmm. not feeling scared. But courage is actually feeling the fear and doing it anyway. And it sounds like that's exactly what I'm doing and what you're doing. And I'm so excited for you. Whereabouts in France are you going to move?
0: <laughs> um, I think I'm going to go to Provence. Like South friends, um yeah, yeah, oh, beautiful,
1: I know Amazing. I'm so
0: excited, but something that you said as well that was really interesting was about you know, figuring out what we want and listening to ourselves, how do you kind of separate those external projected thoughts of expectations, and like maybe what you assume you think you want with like tapping in and knowing what is you? Does that make sense?
1: Oh, that makes so much sense. And it can be a bit of a journey because sometimes I think we become almost a little bit brainwashed by it all depends on the environment and how open the environment and the thinking of the people in your environment already is. So maybe you can get a feel for that, you know, to see, well, how maybe conservative are the people around you? How strong expectations do they hold from you, of you? Whatever the right way to say that is, <laughs> um, how maybe conservative is the society you're living in? So, you know, at some stage you get a feel for that. Um, and then it just comes down to questioning, really tuning in to, with yourself. And I think it's also then a matter of trial and error, just trying it out. Does it feel right? Yes or no? Sometimes I don't know what's right for myself until I've tried it. And sometimes I get so tired of thinking could this be it, could this be the right way for me or whatever, that I just say, stuff it, I'm just going to try it. If I can somehow make it happen, I will just try it because then you get your answer. And also, I'm just preparing my next newsletter on the topic of regrets, which is one of my favorite topics, right? Research shows that people are sort of at the end of their lifespan uh, mostly regret things they haven't tried rather than regretting things they've tried. Because when we do something that afterwards we regret, that regret is short term. Yes, we get annoyed with ourselves. Why did I do that? Why did I say that? But if we don't try things that we think might bring us joy and happiness and that level of fulfillment, that'll haunt us to our deathbeds. I know this sounds a bit morbid, but supported by research.
0: (laughs) No, I get it, though. And I think as well, a lot of my listeners are like kind of my age. Um. And I I feel like there's a shared collective fear of like, I don't want to wake up and be 40 and like, feel like trapped into a mortgage or like have responsibilities where I can't make a change.
1: I love that. And I think sometimes fear is good because of that or those concerns. Mm. So sometimes I think as long as we use those concerns to mobilize energy within ourselves and start taking action and so forth, that's exactly how we can avoid regret. You know, imagine a few years on from now, what do you think are you going to regret? Or look at studies or read some books. There's some really great books about this. What do other people report who've lived their entire life already and are about to die? what do they regret what are the things that really mattered most to them and we know it's those things you know leaving never having tried to pursue your dreams or maybe also neglecting the most important relationships in your lives you know holding a grudge not daring to do the things that really matter to you but always living to the standards of other people around you those sorts of things so that's definitely how we can avoid regret so i i love that yeah. fact about Gen Z, I'm just assuming you're Gen Z or Gen Z. No, <laughs> <Yeah.
0: laughs> yeah, it's true. And I think it relates to something that you talk about, which is miswanting. Mm-hmm. And we kind of spoken about this before and this idea of like people kind of assuming they want something or chasing the wrong thing. Can you talk a bit about miswanting? Mm, absolutely. One of my favorite topics to talk about because it was such an eye opener for myself. So
1: miswanting is a term researchers use to basically describe the phenomenon that we do not know very well intuitively what we actually sort of want or need. What we need in order to be happy is what I'm trying to say. So, this term um, was coined by, I think it was Daniel Gilbert, who's a researcher in this field, and he's written, written a brilliant book also called Stumbling on Happiness. Can highly recommend it's miswanting is part of this phenomenon called affective forecasting or affective forecasting and that means that as humans we always try to project into the future well what will make me happy for example or if this xyz life event will happen to me what does that do with me emotionally so Mm -hmm. miswanting just describes that part where we set goals because we think they will make us happy in the future. For example, you know, maybe getting that promotion or buying that amazing house or whatever. And then we get to it and we experience this anticlimax because a, either we won't feel as happy as we thought we would, or that happiness won't by far not last as long as we thought it might. So that is what miswanting is all about. So I thought that's really interesting. So we don't intuitively know what actually makes us happy, but that comes down to the problem we have where we use one word namely happy or happiness to describe many different things. So we have this hedonic type of happiness, those moments of pleasure and joy. So we think, you know, when we get that promotion, we somehow we think that burst of excitement we get when we find out we get that job or we get that promotion, whatever that might be, that that just lasts and we'll always be this happy. But we adapt to that. Hedonic adaptation is the word for it. We adapt to that and we eventually bounce back to something called sort of the set point of our own happiness. So that is that hedonic type of happiness. But what we actually kind of want in life is to have this eudaimonic type of happiness. So that happiness that goes a lot deeper and that is all about feeling fulfilled, feeling like we live a life of meaning, feeling like we're accomplishing something and we're mastering skills and those sorts of things. So eudaimonic happiness is actually what we're really after. And if we kind of throw into that equation also a little bit of social connection, and and actually I mean a lot of social connection, and and a deep connection also to ourselves and to society and, and feeling that we can contribute to society, then we're starting to talk about flourishing or that mental well-being we spoke about in the beginning. So... We're not very good at predicting what we need in order to be happy, but once we start to understand what we need to flourish in life or once we start understanding what eudaimonic happiness is, then we can start to intentionally set goals that will actually deliver on that happiness promise that we think we're going to get later on. So we can avoid miswanting. That's what I'm trying to say.
0: Are there any um, like commonalities between sorry, I don't know how I'm going to phrase this, because this is one that I've just pulled out of myself. But, you know, I kind of spoke to you about this before. Is there any kind of commonalities of things that people miswant regularly, and like, also, on the other hand, underestimate, and they don't tend to lean into? So you kind of mentioned like, that promotion or that car is like can be, you know, common thing that people tend to miswant that ends up not being fulfilling for them. Are there any others of them? And then again, yeah, on the flip side, is this stuff that people underestimate that was really going to bring them happiness?
1: Mm. There are definitely sort of, there's some rules of thumb people can use um, to avoid miswanting. So one is, and you've hinted to it, is materialistic stuff. So, you know, that big house or a bigger house or a nicer car or a newer car or whatever, those things usually tend to fall flat later on because again we just get used so quickly or we adapt so quickly to a certain standard of living i've been there so many times myself and and i don't know anyone who hasn't so absolutely So as a rule of thumb, aim for experiences rather than materialistic stuff. Um, But also there are things such as a badge of honor. So that external validation that comes with status in society or whatever, maybe a certain job title or something like that. Again, we tend to fall flat with that. Um, That doesn't really help us getting that deeper level of fulfillment in life. And then also, so materialistic wealth, I mentioned that badge, um, fame, fame is a big one, but it actually, it's a little bit, you know, it has to do with our badge of honor. It's sort of related to that, but fame is often something, you know, people aim, strive for thinking that is so cool. Um, but um, if you actually listen to people who have a certain status of fame, um, I don't think it, it makes you very happy at all. So there are those, you know, certain things that I would approach with caution. If you find them, in your own goal setting and on on the contrary again I spoke about experiences always great idea to think about you know what experiences do you find really enriching we can also ensure that for example we um, that we spread out our um, sort of moments of happiness in order to avoid that hedonic adaptation I spoke about before so I said we get used to having a certain level of happiness so for example think if you have six weeks of leave in a year, for example, rather than taking all six weeks in one goal and going on that trip of a lifetime, just take them maybe week by week and spread them across the year. So that will really help you carry that happiness throughout the, the whole year. But other than that, I would say just a big key is to really understand yourself, gain a really deep level of self-knowledge, in particular your own values, and then see how you can turn those values into actionable steps in your life and I think that is highly underestimated
0: 100% and something else that you just mentioned was about um us being able to adapt but then coming back to a set point can you talk a bit about like people's does everyone have a different set point of happiness like how does it work absolutely so this
1: is based on research showing that our that we have several sources of happiness in life, so or determinants of happiness, and one big determinant of our happiness, like it or not, is actually our genes. So we kind of inherit a certain um, happiness set point from our parents or ancestors, and um, so of course that ha- set point is individually determined or differs from person to person, but there is a very big proportion within that happiness equation that is up to our own actions. And we can shift this happiness point. There's also a tiny little bit of um, external circumstances that, that play a role here. So that's really interesting because I think people often overestimate the role our external circumstances play on our happiness. We think if only we find the right one, if only we could have children, and we get that job, and we, you know, get that house, and be, you know, all those sorts of external circumstances. They that we would just be happily happy ever after. And again, research shows that those life circumstances actually t- play a tiny role only in our level of happiness. But to get back to your happiness set point so we kind of seem to have this set point let's say on a scale from one to ten every person will have their own set point of happiness and you know the idea of set point is set points is nothing new we have this also for example with weight and weight loss and so forth right that our weight fluctuates around so we have our own level of um, happiness that we tend to fluctuate around so let's say on a scale from one to ten you generally sit on a six let's just pretend and so let's say one day you get that job promotion you've been wanting for a while and all of a sudden your happiness will rise to a seven or an eight out of ten but as we just discussed that won't last forever so after let's say maybe a couple of weeks or a couple of months that happiness level will fall back onto your set point but by the same token if for example All of a sudden something bad happens, maybe you lost your job altogether one day, then your happiness level might drop to a four or something like that. But again, after a few weeks, after a few months, also depending on other sort of circumstances in your life and your own actions and so forth, your happiness will rise again to your, to the 6 out of 10. So this is something, you know, we spoke about miswanting before, but this is something that is referred to as immune neglect. And that is also part of that affective forecasting that we think if we lost our job or if we, Let's, let's say lost that loved one or something like that it will destroy us for the rest of our lives we won't ever be able to cope again but research shows that that is not true research shows that we are much more resilient than we think we are and that is also has to do with this happiness set point so we have this set point that we kind of bounce around but again research also shows a large proportion of our happiness is determined by our own daily actions and with those daily mm-hmm. actions we can most certainly also raise that happiness point mm-hmm. a little bit
0: mm-hmm. that's super interesting mm-hmm. that's yeah that's it I guess it's like kind of like a blessing and a curse because you know as you said you're always gonna for the good it's gonna come back around and that's not gonna stay a feeling forever but also for the bad that's also gonna come back around and not stay a feeling forever so it's quite comforting really isn't it comforting? I find it comforting too. Because, and it's
1: really, that's what life is all about, isn't it? Everything comes and goes. And I th- I find it also comforting because you will find yourself sort of being caught, you know, yes, you might have some highs, you might have some lows, but there is this level of comfort i suppose that you will always bounce back to and i also find that very comforting but also i find it comforting to know that there are certain things i can do myself to ensure that this level is at a point where i would sort of like it to be maybe you know that i am
0: pardon the pun happy with mm, yeah 100 i want to pivot slightly because i think one of mm-hmm. the things that creates such a big impact on people's well-being is their jobs and their careers and you talk a bit about like the difference between like a job, a career and a calling. Um, and I guess this is a 2 speed question of like, can you talk about the difference between them, but also between how big of an impact is what we do as an occupation on our happiness? Like, is it possible to hate your job, but also live a life of flourishing? Fantastic question. So, to start at the beginning, in
1: in terms of the differences between a job, career, and calling, I would say, you know, the way you can think about these terms is that a job is a means to an income. So, you know, you do anything, maybe packing boxes for Amazon or whatever, I don't know, in the warehouse, so that you earn some money and you can sustain your own lifestyle. So, that might be a job. So, just doing the job in order to get some income. A career is something that where you sort of take career action steps it has a little bit more of a long-term focus where you're hoping to progress in a certain profession and progressing obviously means getting promotions maybe making it to certain job titles maybe gaining a certain status and for this to build upon each other. So that is also often, you know, sort of financially driven, of course, but in addition to that, it might also have to do something a little bit with maybe status or feeling like you accomplish your skills and getting better and self-improvement and those sorts of things. And then we can talk and take this another step further and we can start talking about your calling, And your calling is something where I would say here you are doing all of the above. So you work for the money and you maybe have also the career progression, but you're doing something that is truly aligned with your own purpose. So something that gives you a deep level of satisfaction and accomplishment, but also where you feel like you're realizing your potential and you become all that you are capable of becoming um, because you are living your purpose. So that is more something that I would refer to as calling. Um, And, you know, you can live your calling while actually not even getting paid for it it, or without that career progression, for example. Um, We don't need to sort of draw that strong parallel between them, because they're qualitatively quite different. There's nothing inherently wrong with either of those. And I've certainly done all three. So right now, I can most certainly say I am living my calling. Again, here we are, you know, talking about oh, I've come out on the other side. Well, there's been a lot of sweat, <laughs> tears to sort of get me there, and also, you know, it's not that you ever make it. You you grow, and then you look at, you know, is, does this still suit me? Do I need to redefine myself? Do I need to niche down a different way? I'm sure Rebecca, you've experienced this also, even just with your podcast, you know, and all these little things. Um, so, I think you ask the question: Can you? do a job you really hate, but still be happy? Is that the question you asked? Yeah, pretty much. Okay. Um, so I would say absolutely you can, but I think we also need to be realistic about it. So for example, you can do a job just for the money to sustain your living. Now, obviously it obviously comes down to how many hours of your life do you, or of your day or of your week do you spend in this job? Because then we're starting to talk about how much of your time and energy is being taken up by it, right? So in theory, of course, you can because we can live our calling without earning money through it. If it's, let's say, through a side hustle or even a passion project, even just a hobby, we can live our calling and find our calling and live our purpose through that. Again, I think it's about being realistic because at the end of the day, there's only so much time we have. There's only so much energy we have. There's only so much mind space we have. And if a big proportion of that is taken up by something we inherently hate doing, then I don't know how happy you're going to be. So I would say always pursue your calling as best as you can, but obviously we all need to pay our bills as well. So if you can find that overlap, you know, that is often so beautifully described by the ikigai, um, you know, diagram or whatever, um, then that's like a lottery win, but it's not always realistic for everybody.
0: Yeah, yeah, I know. We spoke about like the unfortunate amount of privilege that you need to have if you want to devote all your time defining your calling you know for some people they might have children or yeah, you know, they've got mouths to feed they've got a roof to keep over their head they can't just you know leave their job they can't spend that time figuring out what they want
1: yeah absolutely although I also want to highlight that for some people their calling is to be a mother or is to be a mm. father or is to be you know, that beautiful community member. You know, some people just live their calling by doing that little bit of volunteer work in their community on the weekends. So, and and while I want to acknowledge that, that there is privilege, there's a lot of privilege, and there's people who need to work a lot harder, I also always want to end on that note that there's always something we can do. You know, even sometimes in the most difficult circumstances, I would always look for that little bit of control, you know, that little bit of something yeah. that is in my own circle of control and just start there and go from there.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and also, yeah, feeling empowered in the fact that you can make changes because I guess a lot of the time you might work with people and they're like, oh, I can't possibly do that, you know, whereas you're like, no, you you, you can, you can find something.
1: Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that's exactly where coaching is so great, because often we, we're we so quick to dismiss opportunities. And again, it draws back to, you know, what I've observed in other people as a young child and is so well re- supported by research and you know, our limiting beliefs are huge to the point where, We're completely oblivious of them, and we don't ever even consider possibilities of things we might be able to do, no matter how big or small. We think we have to chase these big, grandiose goals or steps, and if we don't do that, then it's not worth our time or effort. We need, you know, that's where coaching can be so powerful because a coach will be very quick to become curious about that and to hear that and uncover that and together with the coachee, unpack that and see whether they can find a way forward.
0: Um, And on on that note, I guess, how can we get out of that limited mindset? Can we do it alone? And is there a way that we can successfully and, I guess, pragmatically goal set for ourselves? Like, is there any practical skills that we can take away and be like, I'm going to try this or do this?
1: There are so many that I wouldn't know where to start. However, if you forced me to pick one, I would say start with yourself. Start by understanding What is it that matters most? If we talk about living life fully, what does that mean to you? If we talk about happiness, how do you define that? If we talk about success, how do you define that? So really understanding what it is that makes you you and how you define those sort of the outcomes of the so-called perfect life. What would that look like in your circumstance? Once you understand that, then you can look for that first percent for the very first step what is the tiniest step you can start taking towards that something that maybe feels like a little bit of a stretch to your own horizon but not so big that it would scare you into um feeling paralyzed
0: mm. yeah that's super exciting um and everything that you said has just been so insightful and amazing so I just wanted to thank you for that but I have to ask you the final question that oh. I ask everyone Uh, And that's what impression would you like to leave on the world? I guess if there's one impression I could leave, it's exactly that, that people
1: get that little bit of a spark or idea or insight towards how they can use their one short little life that was given to them at birth and live it to the fullest. I would love to be able to have that impression on people or as many people as I can.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think you had that impression on me. I'm moving to another country, so you know, <laughs> you're making your way. That's so awesome. That is so. Awesome. <laughs> and, and, that is so amazing. <laughs> and if people want to like reach out or find you, or do you have like platforms that they can go to? Absolutely. You'll find me on my website, which is theflourishingdoc.com,
1: um, but also on my socials. So Instagram, you'll find me at theflourishingdoc, uh, Facebook. I love connecting with people on LinkedIn as well. I'm not sure how many of your listeners are there. So you just find me under Dr. Mike and I house, but yeah, you'll find all the links to my socials on my website, theflourishingdoc.com.
0: That's perfect. Thank you so much. You've been an incredible guest and I'm very excited for people to listen to this episode. <laughs> No, I've been, I felt so comfortable. And it was so nice talking to you, Rebecca. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you again to Dr. Micah. Make sure you check out all of her socials and have that positive influence on your life. Uh, If you liked this episode, please share it with a friend, rate it five stars, share it, whatever you like. I will repost it. Of course, I know I sound like a broken record, but it just helps get the news the word the word out there a bit more about the podcast hopefully by the time this comes out I'm in France as well um so keep up with my socials because then you will see more of my life on there inevitably because I'm probably just as addicted to the internet as the average person is which hopefully is not that much but oh my god I'm rambling I will wrap it up okay lots of love and I will see you in a couple of weeks bye